appreciate that. Take your Bible to the passage that we read a few moments ago in Acts chapter 2, if you would do that. Wonderful music today, all day long. Brother Mike, wherever he went, um, where is he? Is he in here? Oh, okay. All right. At any rate, I appreciate those efforts to lead all of this. It's been a blessing to my heart. And as I said this morning, when you spend a lot of time in new churches, uh, smaller churches where they don't have a developed music program, it's really enriching and encouraging to be in a church like this. And I appreciate that so much. Pastor, thank you for inviting me uh, to be here these, uh, this day with you and your people, and I've certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate your prayers on behalf of our ministry, Church Planting America. Our uh, motto is Impacting America One Church at a Time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all you can do is just get one church planted, one church healthy, and uh, try to do that over and over and over and over and over again. And if we just do enough of it long enough, uh, by the grace of God, we'll make a dent and see people come to Christ. So investing in uh, young pastors uh, is really what it's all about for us. And so I am so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And praise the Lord for just um, the doors that he's opened in that regard. I appreciate your support of our ministry, and you do that uh, each month, and I'm very grateful for that. And without that, obviously, without partnership, we could not accomplish what we're accomplishing and achieve what uh, God has called us to achieve. So we're so thankful for that. One of our objectives for our ministry, and by the way, you have some brochures back on the table there if you want to pick one up and learn a little bit more about Church Planning America. But one of our objectives that we set out when we launched the ministry many years ago uh, was to help local churches in need of ministry training and motivation. And I believed that then, when we started, I believe it now more so than ever. I've been able, by the grace of God, to preach in well over 500 uh, Baptist churches across our country. And uh, what I see is that there is such a need uh, for the Lord's people, preachers included, uh, to be f- further developed and further trained uh, to accomplish the work that God has called them to accomplish. And um, it is just a massive need, for sure. So whether it be uh, lay folks that just need some training as deacons and Sunday school workers and other things, we want to make that investment as well. And then, of course, pastors who really, if you're a one-man pastor, you can't just get away to go take college courses somewhere. You just, you know, you just really have to uh, have some of that come to you. And so our burden is to launch what we call a church leadership institute where we're able not to give out uh, degrees. That's not our purpose. It's not a, you know, an educational institution, although I was in higher education for 15 years. That's not our goal. Our goal is practical training that will help men be successful in ministry, help lay people be successful in ministry. What can we do to equip them to add what's missing in their life so that they can achieve the goal that God has put before them? So I wish you'd pray with us about that. It's a, it's a massive undertaking, but we're convinced that God wants us to achieve that, and we're excited about it, really. Um, there'll be various people involved in doing the instruction and helping, and we're going to kind of come at it from many ways. We'll do some in different cities around the country. We'll do some online. Uh, we'll do some in workshops that we have in, in uh, the facility that God's given to us. But any way we possibly can to help uh, people be better prepared to do the Lord's work. So that's our goal, and um, it's ambitious, and we're excited about it, uh, but we realize it's going to take the Lord's uh, touch in order for that to be achieved in the fullest extent. So if you'd pray with us about that, I would appreciate that so very much. All right, we're in Acts chapter 2 tonight, 
And verse 46, certainly good to see Dr. and Mrs. Keene here tonight. Thank you for coming. It's always a blessing. We had a conversation yesterday, and you showed up today. I appreciate that. That's a blessing for sure. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 46. We read it a moment ago. And they continuing daily with one accord. Now, by the way, that in itself is a, is, is a phenomenal statement. You know, this idea of continuing. You know, it, it, it's easy to get saved. It's easy to get excited. It's easy to have a conference like you're having this week, a revival meeting. And I preach a lot of Bible conferences, revival meetings, and people get excited up and they're excited. But you know what? You've got to continue, amen? It's not enough just to make a decision. It's not enough just to come down and pray at an altar. It takes commitment, and so continuing daily, and then I love this, with one accord, unity in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, apart from the home, the most important institution on this earth is the local church. The local church, no question about it. More important than government, we know how important that is, especially when it's not going right. Uh, we know how important government is. Uh, more important than a school, more important than a place of employment, the church, the local church. Jesus loves this church. Amen? He loves local churches like your church. He died for the church. He gave himself for it. Think about that. He didn't die for government. He didn't die for a business. He didn't die for a school. He didn't die for an organization. He died for the church. The church. He's the chief cornerstone of the church. But here's my question. What kind of a church? What kind of a church? Now, I'm not talking about a denominational label. Hopefully we understand that. We've got that settled. I'm talking about the spiritual and biblical characteristics of a New Testament church. What are they? Think of it this way. If you were to talk to someone outside your church about this church, what words would you use? How would you describe your church? What would you say? What, 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 what would you convey to someone who had interest in your church? What words would you use? Well, I want us to take a look at this church in Jerusalem, the church we're reading about in this portion of Scripture. And I believe this model church can help us understand the church that God wants us to become. All independent Baptist churches all across America. What, what should that church be like? What should that church model out? How should that church be known in a community? Now, time um, would require much more than we have tonight to delve deep into this. So I want to just give you four words to consider. Just four words to consider. And I think these four words capture the essence of this church and the essence of this portion of Scripture. These four words will describe this church, and in my view, should describe every independent Baptist church, every gospel-preaching church. So what are these words? All right, number one, the church is to be, and I preached on this to somewhat this morning, but the church is to be hopeful, hopeful. 
Now understand the context of this passage for a moment. Look at verse 23 of this chapter, chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In other words, death could not hold Jesus. The grave could not hold Jesus. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad, Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. So again, get the background. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have what we call the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, of course, is given here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but we find that commission given in each of the Gospels as well. And by the way, that commission is reiterated throughout all of the Bible, amen? It's not just these select passages. It's the mission of God. It's his heartbeat to see people come to Christ. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that commission was given. Then in verse 9 through 11, he ascends back into heaven. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Let me just stop there and parenthetically give you this thought. I think we have a lot of Christians that are just kind of standing, gazing into heaven. They're waiting for the Lord to come back, but they're not mobilized. They're not energized. They're not doing something. They're not active. They're not reaching out. Uh, they're not invested in the things of the Lord. They're happy to be saved. They're happy to be on their way to heaven. They're happy to be called a Christian, but they're really not doing what God wants us to do until Christ comes back. And so he said, why stand you gazing at them? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then we come to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them. And you understand, Peter now is preaching this powerful message, this sermon to this infant congregation, and to those gathered in Jerusalem for the feast known as Pentecost. The focus of his message is Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. Notice it. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And by the way, that's been the focus of your church 42 years, seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Every Sunday school class, uh, every Bible study, every um, uh, master club, every bus ministry, whatever you've done through these 42 years, it's all about seeing people come to Jesus. Amen? It's all about seeing them saved. The focus of his message. And then we realize that the church is hopeful. It's hopeful because of salvation through Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You see, salvation through Christ demanded that there was a blood sacrifice. Amen? Jesus had to die. 
It wasn't enough that he came. It wasn't enough that he walked on water. It wasn't enough that he fed 5,000. It wasn't enough that he taught. He had to die. He had to go to the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Jesus Christ went to that cross in your place and in my place as our substitute and gave his life for us and shed his blood for us. And then they put him in a cold, dark, damp tomb. But thank God he didn't stay there. Look at verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The resurrection. Hey folks, the difference between Christianity and every religion of the world is the resurrection. Buddha lived, he died, he's dead. Confucius lived, he died, he's dead. Muhammad lived, he died, he's dead. Jesus lived, he died, but he lives again. It's the resurrection. And so when we, when we begin to process this, as long as the church declares the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, there's hope. Hope for people. People bound in sin have hope. Hope for the drunkard, the drug addict. Hope for people who are caught in this web of materialism. Well, we're living in an affluent country. And it's so easy to trust in those possessions and those things and, and be caught up in all of that. Hope for those who are distressed with the pressures of life. Hope for the poor. Hope for the wealthy. Hope for young people, children, teenagers, adults alike. There's hope. And a church is a beacon of hope to a lost world. How would you describe your church? It's a place of hope. When people come through the doors of this church, their, 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 church building, their, their lives can be changed by Jesus Christ. Church is hopeful. But I see a second thing in Acts chapter 2. Not only is the church hopeful, the church is to be holy. It's holy. Look at verse 37 and 38. So the message, and by the way, just, just the 23 verses, and uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Well, the Holy Spirit brought some conviction by the Word of God. The, by, the, by the way, the Word of God always brings conviction, Amen. Whether you're reading it at home, whether you're hearing it preached, whether you're sitting in a class and someone's instructing it, you, you, can't, you can't come face to face with the, the Word of God and not have conviction. God does that. So when they, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, when we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we hear preaching from the Bible, that's a great question. It's not, Lord, okay, just, you know, in, 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 just, just enlarge my brain so I know more. No, it's, Lord, what do you want me to do with this truth? How do you want to change my life? What is it that you're teaching me so that I can be more effective for you? So that I can reach more people for you? So I can serve you better? What shall we do? So verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, by the way, don't let verse 38 trip you up. Don't, 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 don't have this mindset that you're baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. That word for is the key to that. And, and, and for can mean one of two things, in order to or because of. In order to or because of. I went to college for an education. Not because I was educated, but in order to be educated. You get it? 
Or I wept for joy. I, I didn't weep so, so I could be joyful. I wept because I was joyful. And so you understand the context here. When he says, for the remission of sins, it's not in order to have your sins remitted, but because your sins have been remitted. But I want you to think about that word, repent. Repent. Once they heard God's word, once they were convicted of their sins, once they turned to Jesus Christ, they were to repent. Now that word very simply, as is, is, is kindly as I can say, is, is, is about changing. It's about turning about. You're, you're, you're headed one way without Christ, one way living in the world, one way buying into the value system of the world. You get saved, and guess what? Now we're to go this direction. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're to live like it. If we're Christians, we need to live like we're Christians. We need to act like we're Christians. We need to think like we're Christians. And I realize it's a journey. I realize someone that got saved two weeks ago isn't going to be like someone who got saved ten years ago. But it's a growth process. We've got to help people get to that point in their Christian life. To turn from that which is sinful to walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ. Hey, let me give you a couple verses. These are familiar. Hold your place in Acts, but let me remind you of these. Because I think so many times Christians have lost sight of these. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are to become new. When, once we're saved, we're to live like it. We're to act like it. We don't have to hold on to that old stuff that, 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 that dominated our life and, 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 and caused us to live a certain way. No, that's behind us now. And then let me give you this one, 1 Peter 1, one of my favorites. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14 through verse 16. 1 Peter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, don't live today the way you lived when you were ignorant of Jesus Christ. Those, 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 the, the, the former lifestyle. Don't, don't, don't go back to that. Don't live that way. Verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, think about this. The standard of holiness is not another Christian. The standard of, of holiness is not some made-up rules and regulations. The standard of holiness is the Word of God. It's, it's, it's what God is giving to us, his, his, his values for us. I'm amazed. I'm, I've been just fascinated recently with the concept of core values. And you know, core values, are, are those, those values are built on doctrine. And so you have the right doctrine, then you get the right values. But then you know what? You've got to live out those values. And I find Christians who say they have a certain value, but, buddy, their life doesn't, doesn't depict that they have that value. It, it's, it's really not like um, the value that they're espousing verbally uh, with their lifestyle. So where we go and how we live and how we dress and how we talk and how we... All of that should match the value system that we have as believers. 
So we're to be holy as God is holy. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't do that. And you know what? You're right. On your own, I can't either. In fact, I would suggest to you there's at least three things we have to do if we're going to live a holy life. Number one, every day we have to be in this book. Amen? And on the Lord's Day, we need to be in the house of God where the book is being taught and preached. Second thing, we have to be on our knees in prayer. We have to to communicate with God. And thirdly, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize, apart from the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is not a difficult life, it's an impossible life. It's It's just impossible. We cannot become what God wants us to become unless and until we're filled with the Spirit of God. So we can try in our flesh, we can do what we know to do, but at the end of the day, we're never going to get to where we need to get to as God's people unless we're in the book, we're on our knees in prayer, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really not that complicated. In fact, Paul said, I fear that you'll be removed from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. It's not that difficult. We just, God's given us the plan, we just have to work the plan, amen, that he's laid down for us. So the church is to be hopeful. The church is to be holy. But here's the third one. The church is to be helpful. Now I want you to go back to Acts chapter 2. Helpful, verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now hear me tonight, the greatest support group in any city should be a local church like this church. That should be the greatest support group. So when people are struggling with whatever, an addiction of some kind, uh, fear, whatever's gripping their life, whatever they need help with, maybe they're a single parent and they're trying to rear kids and they just need some help with that process, the church should be that support group. In this church, in the book of Acts, there was a spirit of giving and kindness, love and support that enveloped the church. That same spirit should envelop every church that preaches the gospel. Every church like this church. Christianity is not about what we get. It's about what we receive from God and give to others. How can we be a blessing to other people? How can we help someone else? Because so often we're living in an age where it's all about us. What's in it for me? That's the mindset of the world. Folks, that shouldn't be the mindset of of the members of this congregation or any Bible-believing congregation. It ought to be, how can we help people? How, How can we help them get down the road in their Christian walk and in their Christian life? It's not about what we get. It's about what we can give and do for other people. You know, there's a little phrase in the New Testament. It permeates the New Testament. Two words. One another. One another. All throughout the epistles, the Holy Spirit of God emphasizes how a local church should be engaged in a one another ministry. Think about that. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're to prefer one another. That's not always easy. In other words, it's not me. What can I do for you? How can I prefer you? over myself. Or I think about Romans chapter 
chapter 13 and verse 8, where we're told to love one another. What about Romans chapter 14 and verse 19? We're to edify one another. That means build up one another. Not criticize, not tear down, but build up one another. Romans 15, verse 14, we're to admonish one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, we're to care for one another. Well, that's a good one. Care for one another. Galatians 5, verse 13, we're to serve one another. Hmm. Ephesians 4, verse 2, we're to forbear one another. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we're to be kind to one another. We're to forgive one another. Chapter 5 and verse 21, we're to submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, we're to comfort one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, we're to exhort one another. James chapter 5 and verse 16, we're to pray for one another. 1 John 1 and verse 7, we're to fellowship with one another. Hey, what a great study. One another. One another. It's not about our needs. It's not about what we get. It's not about what we want. It's how we, who are mature in the faith, can help those who are weak in the faith. Those who have needs. Those who have burdens. How can we minister to them? How can we encourage them? How can we help them? The church helped one another. This church in Acts helped one another by sharing material possessions. And that's a good thing. But you know what? God, I believe, has called us to do more than that. I believe that with all my heart. I think in any congregation, no matter the size, there are needs beyond the physical realm, beyond the financial realm. I think there are needs, uh, people need to be loved. Listen, the family's under attack today. People don't even know what love is. They have no idea uh, parents, how, how parents should love their children. They don't, even, they don't even get that. They haven't even come out of that kind of an environment. Or, or the need to fellowship with one another. You know what fellowship is? It's not going to a certain designated place in the building and having you know, a piece of cake. Fellowship is sharing the common life in Christ. This is what God's done in my life, and let me help you, and this is what I see in your life. Let me encourage you. So, so there's fellowship, there's, there's prayer, there's encouragement, there's discipleship, there's mentoring. All of those things are part of that concept of one another. So when someone gets saved through the ministry of your church, I mean, man, it, 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 the, the congregation should just be pouring into people like that. Pouring into them. Helping them get from point A to point B, from point A to point C, and from point C to point D. To just be growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joining a church is more than a membership certificate. More than that. It's becoming part of a loving, caring, spiritual family. And you have that here, and thank God for that. And because of that, the church is helpful to minister to people who have brokenness in their hearts, in their lives, needs that um, God's people can meet. That means we have to take the time we have to put in the energy. We have to work at it. We have to pray about it. We have to invest in it. And that's not always easy. But it's always right for us to do. So the church is to be hopeful. The church is to be holy. 
The church is to be helpful. Well, let me give you the last one. The church is to be happy. Happy. Oh, my gracious. Look at uh, verse 26, chapter 2. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Look at verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the way, ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And then verse 46 that we read, uh, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness. Verse 47, praising God. Listen, if you're saved, and on your way to heaven, your sins have been forgiven, my gracious, you're growing in Christ, you should be happy. <laughs> happy. There will be joy in your life. And that joy will, will resonate. It will radiate into the hearts and lives of other people. If you truly know Christ, now get this, nothing down here really matters in comparison. I've got a sermon I preach, heaven and hell on earth. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, let me explain it. For the Christian... This is the only hell we'll ever know. This is as bad as it gets. That flat tire, that trip to the dentist, I mean, that's it. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. But guess what? For the unsaved person, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That people understand this isn't just something we do on Sunday. This is a lifestyle. This is real. This is authentic. This matters. And that we have a song in our heart. It's, it's legitimate and it's real. There's joy. Far too many people attend the house of God with a sour face and a bad attitude. Like they lost their best friend. No smiles, no joy, no singing. A Bible under one arm, a tombstone under the other. Get saved and be as miserable as I am. Let me tell you, people aren't going to attend a funeral every Sunday at 9.50 or 10.50. When they walk in this place, I think, man, what is, wow. These people really, they love Jesus. They're excited. They're on the way to heaven. This is real. It radiates. It matters. It's important. You know, when you study scripture, you'll find the Bible speaks about joy to a great extent. You know, when David repented of his sin with Bathsheba, what did he ask God? He said, God, I need you to restore the joy of thy salvation. I need that joy back in my life. Because, by the way, when we sin, we lose that joy, don't we? Yeah, and that guilt sets in and that conviction sets in. I think about John 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Jesus promised that our joy could be full. Not, not half full, but full. Or I think about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Joy. Yeah, with peace and long-suffering, but joy. Paul the Apostle determined to finish his course, Acts chapter 20, with what? With joy. He didn't want to become so weary and well-doing that he lost the joy. And, and, I, and I fear that so many Christians have lost the joy of their salvation. 
You know, I, 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 in my own life, I constantly come back and, and think about where I would be if I had not received Jesus as my Savior. What would I be doing? How would I be living? What would, what would matter to me? What would be important in my life? And that brings me right back to, uh, to where I am. I'm thankful, so thankful that I've been saved. So thankful that I belong to a local church like this. So thankful that I have a Bible. So thankful the Holy Spirit lives within me. So thankful that God's uh, uh, commissioned me and all of us who know his name to go out and reach people with the gospel. That joy should be in our lives. Let me tell you this. The world should never be more joyful than the church. We got the real thing. They've got a cheap substitute. They call it alcohol. They call it drugs. They call it immorality. They call it by many names. Entertainment. We got the real thing. We got Jesus. My gracious. We should be so joyful. About 22, 23 years ago, my son-in-law, Dennis, who's a pastor today, he had gotten been about two or three years married to my daughter. And uh, we, lived, we live now, and they live then, in Jacksonville, Florida. And so he had gotten somehow two tickets to the Jaguars football game. And he, he said to me, Dad, he said, you, you know, I'd like you to go with me to see the Jaguars play. Now, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in Chicago, so I'm a Bears fan. I, I didn't care if the Jaguars win or lose or if they, if they dissipate from the earth today. I don't care. I mean, none of that matters to me. But because it was a father-son outing, I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's go. We'll go. We'll go. So um, we park. You know how it is. You've got to park a mile away from the place. And as she, it was a night game, so as we're approaching, the lights are beaming out of the stadium, and you could hear the music, and you could hear laughter, and you could hear people that were excited we made our way, finally found out where we're supposed to sit. We got in the right location. And again, we could hear people chattering and waiting for the game to start. And there was a lot of electricity going on in, in the conversations. And so we sit down. And after we sit down, I mean, we're sit, maybe, maybe a minute. And the guy behind me taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around thinking maybe I knew this guy. I don't know this guy. I have no idea who this guy is. And he said, hey, he said, um, uh, most of us are uh, season ticket holders, and you're not. And so, you know, we're just happy you're here with us tonight. We want to welcome you to the game. You come off? And I said, no, I've never been before. This is my first game. Oh, my goodness. He started giving me stats and stuff about the Jackson, the Jaguars, and talking about all kinds of things. I mean, in here, out here, I had no interest. We're listening kind of, you know, to the guy. So we have this conversation. You know, he welcomes us, the whole thing. We sit down. So at some point... Um, Again, by this point, Jacksonville had only played about two or three years, so they weren't winning many games. They're still not 25 years later winning many games. But uh, back then, so they finally do something right in the game. Everybody stands up. So I stand up. I turn around. He has his hands like this. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what I was supposed to do. But then I look around and I see people are doing this. High fives, they call it. So I high five him. He goes like this. Oh, so I'm supposed to go down the row. 
high-fiving these people as I'm going down the road. I'm thinking, what in the world? So we go through that exercise. We sit down. You know, 15 minutes later, up we go again. Go through the procedure. You know, two or three times. So we get to the fourth quarter. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, I say, Dennis, listen. They're losing miserably. There's no way in the world they're going to win this game. Let's go. Let's beat the trap. Let's get out of here. So he agrees. We get up. The guy behind me, where are you going? <laughs> I said, well, we're leaving. You can't do that. You've got to stay with us. You're one of us. You're part of us. He does this. He puts his, literally, he puts his hand over his heart. He says to me, you've got to stay. You're one of us. I said, no, I have to go. No, you don't have to go. He's, he's arguing with me. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm an adult. Why am I arguing with this guy that I've only known for an hour and a half? Why do I care what he thinks? So finally I convince him I have to go. But the ticket out was this. Now, nobody else is standing and nobody else is doing this, but he's expecting that we're going to do this down this... So I said, Dennis, if this is what we got to do to go, we're doing it. Put those hands up. And then we go down the road like this. We're, we're walking to the car after this experience. And I'm thinking to myself, everybody but me, I think, attended this game with a spirit of expectation, anticipation. It wasn't a chore. They wanted to be there. They were happy. They were friendly. They welcomed us. The atmosphere was exciting. They took personal interest in us. They were grieved when we were leaving. And I thought to myself as I'm walking to the car, if they can do all of that at a football game, the church of Jesus Christ can and must do better. But how do, how do visitors feel when they come into this place? Do they get that kind of uh, feeling that, man, they're welcomed here and, and they're needed here and, and there's something here that can change their life and, and Jesus is real and, and heaven is real and it's exciting. Boy, if you lose that, the ball game's over. If they can do that at a football game, the church of Jesus Christ can do better. Church should be hopeful. Church should be holy. Church should be helpful, but the church should be happy. Amen? Would you pray with me? Maybe one of those, maybe more, even tonight as I preached, God spoke to your heart and said, you know what? You're not very, you're not very hopeful. You're not radiating that. You're not very holy. There's something in your life that shouldn't be in your life. Some lustful mind, some jealous spirit, some unforgiving attitude. Holiness is gone. Or, or, or what about helpful? Do you have as your mission to be a blessing to people? To help people? To encourage people? And then by God's help, what about being happy in the Lord? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Hey, listen tonight, this invitation's open. Why don't you come? One of those areas, maybe two, say, God, please, please help me. Help me.